Anything Combat with Johnny K. But it's Anything Combat, though. Welcome back, combatants, to the Anything Combat show, where we discuss everything mixed martial arts. I'm your host, Johnny K, and today we're joined by a seven-time MMA champion. He's a UFC veteran. When you put his amateur and pro record together, it comes to like 25-1-1. Absolute beast. He's in Brave. Got a fight August 12th against Indembele. Please welcome Jose Shorty Torres. How are you, Jose? I appreciate it, brother. I am well. So, all right, let me make let me make some small corrections. 25 and 1 was my amateur record. As a pro, I am 11 1 and 1. I am horrible at math. So, what is that? 20 or that's 30. That's like 36 1 and 1. Yeah, pretty much. 36 2 and 1. 36 okay. 2 and 1. What's what's so what's so interesting is that uh when I went on Tapology um, they said that your amateur record, I was combining what Tapology had amateur and pro. They always stuff these things up, dude. But on, on Tapology, they had you at like 15, uh, 15 and one or something. I don't, I don't really know what they had you as, but it was definitely not the record. Where did all those other amateur fights go that they uh, didn't put? So the crazy part about it is I started fighting in 2010. I don't know when both Tapology or SureDog started. But they naturally, I mean, promotions back, at least when I first started, was I could still elbow and put knees to the face, you know? So the rules are very, very different then. Like, you were able to bring your own gloves. The promotion didn't even need to give you gloves. You had to bring your own. And you were able to use your own and fight. So it wasn't really, in a sense, commissioned to the fullest. So when it comes to, like, paperwork transferring over to websites like Tapology and SureDog, almost like my first 10 or 15 fights weren't even documented just because... Like, even though they're official matches or official exhibitions, you know, Tapology and SureDog were so brand new and the rules and commissions in different states were so, you know, very new, starting to get developed that it never really counted as fights. So it's like, oh, okay, but my record was 25-1 as an amateur and then 8, or excuse me, 11-1-1 as a pro. That is an absolute crazy record. Why did you fight so much? Um, so two reasons. One, my coach made a rule when I went amateur. He goes, automatically, you have to have 20 fights before you turn pro. That's our automatic rule. Doesn't matter if you're uh, 5-0. and Doesn't matter if you're 10-0. and You have to be 20 fights and you could be 10-10. and You can be 0-20. You can be 20-0. and Once you get 20 fights, you can turn pro because now you face every single person, you know, at least stylistically. I mean, well, usually when you're 5-0, and you're probably the big dog in your city, but you know, big fish in a little pond, you start going to different states, you start going across overseas. It's like, oh, these fish are, these fish are bigger. You know, this is crazy. And so also coincidentally, I, I had a full ride to, uh, you know, university for wrestling. So my coach is like, you're not turning pro until you finish college. And, uh, you know, I obviously respected that. Listen to that. Plus if you're NCAA and you have a scholarship, once you turn professional in any sport, you lose your scholarship. So for me, I wanted at least something to fall back on just in case MMA didn't become successful for me, at least just in case I had my degree to uh, rely on. A lot of people say that, you know, MMA fighters, they're not in the UFC, you know, they're trash and, you know, the UFC is the best place to go. Dude, you're out of the UFC right now. One of your wins is up against Amir Albazi, who's mm-hmm. absolutely smashing it in the flyweight division right now. Dude, you are his only loss mm-hmm. still to this day, and he looks like he's going to get a title shot soon. Is that the best win in your whole career, or do you think another one's uh, more superior? I mean, in all technicality, he's he's the, the best win in my career. I don't believe he was my toughest opponent, and that's no disrespect to him. I just think stylistically uh, my style was able to be his kryptonite. 
but I believe I've had other fights. I, I know my one of my tougher fights, I broke my hand torn my MCL in the first round and got dropped was against uh, Farquhar Sherpuff. It was a uh, champion, you know, champ champ type of fight. I was a flyweight champion. He was a bantamweight champion. I was bumping up to fight for his belt and I won, but it was a five round war. The first and only five round fight that I had that went the distance. And, you know, then I had other fights, you know, Jesus, um, man, I'm trying to, I, I feel so bad because I can't remember his name, but I, there's so many guys that I fought that I believe for me, stylistically were tougher. I mean, our is a great test and I still practice with him now. I, I trained with him at, a, you know, the UFC performance too and um, at Extreme Couture and he's a brother, man. He's helped me a lot. I've helped him a lot and uh, I helped him for the Kaya Kawa friends fight. He helped me for this fight coming up and, uh, you know, we, we got to look at the Brave Fighters, especially now that are in the UFC. You look at, um, oh, what's his name? The guy who's going to fight Volkanovski next. Uh, Ilya Tupuria. Ilya Tupuria, Kazma, uh, Chemaev, Amir Albazi, and I believe there's a couple more that were a part of Brave and now that are, like, top five. Look at Mohamed Mokaev. Look how fast he's moving up in the rankings, and he started with Brave as well. And before he got a title shot, you know, everyone wants to go to the UFC. It's the biggest promotion in the world, or at least the most popular, at least. So everyone goes over there, you know, uh, believing they're going to do stuff. And you start to notice, like, man, a lot of the fighters aren't American. They're from the Middle East. They're, they're from countries you haven't even heard of. And you're like, who the hell is this guy? These guys are phenomenal. Again, Amir Bazi, he's from Iraq, a refugee from Iraq. No one's from out of there. And out of nowhere, he's getting a title shot. I think that is a phenomenal, phenomenal thing. So I believe a lot of people need to focus on not just the UFC because they're the most popular, but look at the other fighters in 1FC, Brave, KSW, Ryzen, and, and all the other international promotions that are, you know, highlighted. When I was uh, talking to other extreme couture fighters, I interviewed um, I interviewed Saadi Boo. What a wonderful dude. I want to ask you, um, you brought up extreme couture. What can you tell us about that gym in general? What's the environment like there? The, the cool thing is it's a very open gym. So, for example, I've traveled and gone to many big gyms, the popular ones like Jackson Wink, American Top Team, Rufus Spore. Um, I mean, the, the list goes on, and I know I'm, I'm obviously excluding a few, but um, American Top Team is probably one of the most popular because they have so many bodies. The only problem with the gym, and it's not even, again, trying to put it down, is that you have 100 very, very high-level people on the mat and 10 high-level coaches. The only problem is you're going to be divided. You know, so you're only going to get so much time and it's such a big gym, easily the biggest gym I've ever been to. It's such a big gym that becomes a little bit like a high school. Oh, you have the Brazilians over here. You have the Russians, Ukrainians over here. You have, you know, the, uh, the Americans or the outcasts, you know, you have different groups and those groups have their own coaches. And sometimes you have the people who are just kind of the, the journeymen or the stragglers or the new people that, don't really have anyone to, to work with. So everyone really stays in their groups and they have their own little niches. Compared to Extreme Couture, you come in there solo and you need to reach out to people. And at American Top and some of these bigger gyms, they bring you in. They're like, oh, you're Brazilian? Ah, oh, dude, you're part of us. Oh, you're Russian? Oh, you hang out with us. This is, when we're, this is when we're practicing because obviously we understand the language easier. Or you're American or you're from around here. But at Extreme Couture, it doesn't matter what nationality you are. Obviously, some people stick with each other, but it doesn't matter what nationality you are. I believe it's such an open gym that people need the camaraderie. So, man, I've had, you know, I've, the, this last camp, I think I took a picture. There was, in the one picture, there was, uh, besides myself, and I'm, I'm Latino, but there was, uh, you know, a guy from Puerto Rico. There was a guy from France. There was a guy from 
Peru. There was another guy from Mexico. There was, you know, just so many different people. And you're like, yeah, this is dope. And some of us couldn't even understand each other, but we're kind of playing charades and working each other out and going, hey, man, you know, like, I'm here for you. You're here for me. I had a bunch, like, today's my birthday. A bunch of people, you know, hit me up that I'm like, wow, I expect you to hit me up. Like, camaraderie at Extreme Couture is phenomenal because it's such a personal gym that you need to reach out to people and they know without people's help, they're not going to advance in their career. So they have to be genuine with people. They actually want to to get some help. And with that being said, you also have to help back in return. So it's a very, um, even though it's a very individualized gym, because it's so individualized, you need to rely on making friends and, and becoming a team. And I believe it's it's one of the best gyms, if not the best gym I've had camaraderie-wise that I've been at. Dude, did you just say that it was your birthday today? Yeah, yeah, actually, it is my birthday. You are probably the last person I'm talking to on my birthday. Happy birthday. How old are you turning? I appreciate it. Sadly, I just turned 31. Uh, you know, for me, I'm still in my prime. It's just, I'm just one of those people, man, I, I think I get it from my mother that automatically I'm like, Mom, happy birthday. And she's like, shut up. I'm getting older. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. We're getting older. We're all going to die. Ah, you know, so, you know, for me, I, I've obviously now started to enjoy birthdays again. And today, honestly, has probably been one of the best birthdays I've ever had. Um, you know, I'm in Colombia right now. I'm in Bogota trying to get acclimated to the, the altitude here. It's uh, it's about 3,200 kilometers high. You know, it's like 11,000, 12,000 feet high, two miles high. It's, dude, it's the altitude here is ridiculous. So we've been doing mountain runs. We've been doing everything. You know, my, my roommates from Peru, the guy that I've been hanging out with, he's on the card. He's Colombian. The camaraderie that I've had here, like, they threw me a surprise birthday party. You know, I was like, yeah, this is dope. I can't have cake. They made me, like, a healthy no-sugar cake. I was like, this is awesome, you know? So today was a very good boost of morale. And, uh, you know, just, just I'm a very empathetic guy that, that relies on people's, like, support. So when people are reaching out and genuinely reaching out, not just because of my birthday, but just saying, hey, man, we wish you the best. Dude, you're an amazing person, this, that, and saying positive things. It's like, thank you, man. That gives me a lot of motivation to keep on going. On Sherdog and Tapology, they had the U.S. flag there. I want to ask you, what's your actual ethnicity? What's your actual culture? And is it a good holiday destination? So I am... I am 100% American, you know, that was where I was born and raised, but my heritage, my nationality, my background is Mexican, Puerto Rican. So I'm half Mexican. My mom is from Cuernavaca, Morelos, Mexico, and my dad is from Orocovis, Puerto Rico. And uh, man, it's, it's just been a, a wild adventure because also I wasn't raised speaking Spanish. So being able to go to these Latin speaking countries, um, like my, my roommate now, Edgar Torres, he's from Peru. Yeah, I mean, he's only one and one, very young, he's 20 years old, and I sponsor him, and I was like, you know what, I, I talked to Brave, and I was like, hey, I'm going to be on this card, but I, I need someone else on this card. I need to put this guy on this card. If, if you're not going to put put him on this card, then we need to figure something else out, because I don't, I don't want to fight if he's not going to be a part of this card. And they're like, okay, yeah, no, 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 we, we want you on this card, obviously you're Latino, you're going to represent your people, stuff like that, and they, they ended up uh, fighting him a fight, and, you know, I flew him in, and... Um, you know, he's been here with me for the week. You know, he's going to be here with me for two weeks for the fight. And, you know, I'm treating him like my little brother where it's like, hey, man, this is the diet. This is this. This is that. I'm trying to big brother him and, and you know, hopefully help him gain a lot more experience in these small two weeks that we have together. That's wonderful. I want to ask you about that Abazi Kai-Kai fight. Now, personally, I think Kai won the fight. Mm-hmm. I know Albazi might be your guy, but how did you see that fight going? So it's funny. Somebody asked me that same question yesterday. I I would have to rewatch that fight because obviously it's been a couple months. But 
it the and this is the bad thing about we have the boxing scoring system. Boxing scoring system is mainly on stand up. Amir Abazi is mainly a jujitsu fighter who worse than the worst, even if he can't tap you out, he's gonna hold a dominant position because you can't stand up and the ref can't stand you up and then he's winning the round. But then you also have to look at Kayakal France landing more dominant shots on the feet, um, landing more strikes in general. But then Amir Abazi having control majority of the round, but also not landing much with it. So that's that's the hard part. It's like with, with this scoring system with MMA, it's like how as a judge, what do you like? And that's the bad part. It's not it's not about what you like. It's not about your opinion. Excuse me. It's about what the scoring system should be, how you should score the fight, how much you score takedowns, how much you score control, how long the control should be. Obviously, the punches, are they significant or are they just, you know, random little punches? Um, you know, it strikes between punches and kicks. Um, if Kai France defends a takedown, is that points? You know, uh, hell, if Albazi's pushing the pace and being aggressive, even though nothing's landing, is are those points? You know, so that's that's the hard part about the fight. I mean, honestly, it's because I haven't seen it about, was it two months ago about, you know, it's like, dude, yes, come on. with that being said, it's like, I really don't know. Um, but in general, if it's that close of a fight where people have to obviously discuss it, where it's back and forth, then I believe it's a right call to be a split decision um, where it's like, oh, you know what? This guy won. No, this guy won. And if the crowd is going back and forth and hey, that was the right call in the split decision. But in general, I believe we do need a, a different scoring system because I've heard a lot of, uh, or I've seen a lot of fights where you're like, you do that head turn like, uh, like that, that should not be, uh, what, why are you scoring it that way? So um, it is what it is, but, you know, I mean, just, just in general, for me as a fighter, beating him and then seeing how much he's grown to be able to now be in the top of the UFC and beat or even go toe-to-toe, whether you believe he won or not, against a, a top five guy, a top three guy in Kyle Carl France, like, yo, you've improved so much since – we last fought, and honestly, probably probably that loss motivated you to train so much more and work on so many things that much harder because you never fought someone like myself, and now you get to the caliber of other guys like me, and you're doing so much better. Like, dude, kudos to him. Congratulations. And honestly, even for me, it's like the more he wins, the better I look. So I hope he keeps winning. I hope he wins the belt. And, you know, I hope everything, you know, inshallah is, you know, because he's Muslim, God willing, that, you know, everything goes well for him and he keeps on pursuing more for his family and, and himself. There's so many crazy decisions in this sport. I want to ask you about one that I actually don't agree with in the flyweight division. Antoja versus Moreno was one insane fight that just took place for the flyweight belt. So that that's also, again, back to the scoring system with Kai Carr, France, Amir Abazi. It's like... What do you score? The guy who landed more strikes or the guy who who had more control on the ground? You know, because again, this is MMA. That's the biggest difference about, you know, the sport compared to any other striking sport. We get to go on the ground and even if you can't submit somebody, if you're in a dominant position, the ref can't stand you up. You know, this is a dominant position you worked for, you earned it, and the other guy has to forcefully work his way out. And if he can't, majority of the time, he probably won the round depending on how long the time has been. You know, so when it comes to that, that's that's the hardest part. Moreno obviously landed more strikes and was able to hurt and daze Pantoja majority of the time besides I think that first round knockdown by uh, Pantoja to Moreno. But Pantoja was able to, to dominate the ground, stay better, stay stronger, stay smarter, and just stay resilient throughout the whole time, which honestly I'm very surprised about. I thought – and I trained with both. <clears throat> so I know both their strengths and weaknesses for, for the most part since I last trained with them. And – I think Moreno kind of mentally created a little bit of self-sabotage. Like, oh, man, I know his strength. I hope it doesn't happen. And then he's kind of like, 
letting it happen. And again, I'm not saying 100% he let things happen because obviously he tried to get out of it. But I think there came a point where like almost a scramble started to slow down because he kind of accepted our Pantoja's a little bit better than me on the ground. But then obviously on the feet, Brandon Moreto was doing this thing given he had a broken hand and, and, and he's still recovering from it now. His hand was a lot more broken than what mine was and I broke in the first round. So um, I was able to deal with the pain a lot better. Moreno wasn't and obviously that just shows how much pain he was in or how much how much of a fracture it was but you saw how tough he performed so for me I would love to see because I think Moreno is such a dominant champion again those those phenomenal fights of Figueredo hell a great performance against Pantoja I would love to see a rematch before um Amir Albazi gets gets that title shot but obviously Amir Albazi deserves a title shot as well so it's like maybe you have if if Moreno's healthy you know, Moreno versus Amir Albazi, and then, you know, the the, the winner gets Pantoja, because I know Pantoja wants to enjoy himself a little bit as well. So, about that, why did they treat you like shit? And uh, what was that whole story like? Like, you, you made reference to the fact that you weren't treated fairly. Can you just elaborate on that for us? And so, I, I received many last-minute uh, UFC fights. Multiple were while my lip, my hand was broken. I had a torn MCL. Where I was like, "Hey, I can't fight in four months." Okay, do you want to fight in two weeks? I'm like, "I can't fight in four months." Okay, how about in three weeks, dude? I can't fight for four months. Okay, how about when that four month ends? Do you want to fight the next day? No, I mean like I can't get in the gym until those four months are over. Okay, how about the week after? I'm like, okay, you guys aren't listening to me. This is all Mick Maynard. Um, so there was no respect of what I wanted, and I had the biggest resume outside the UFC at, ever in, in the whole aspect of the sport in every weight class. So being put into the flyweight division, especially when it was a dying weight class, it's like, hey, I'm going to be that Justin Gaethje of the small guys. Like I'm going to be that exciting fighter. Then I received a, a nine-day notice. I said no. Talk to my nutritionist. He goes, dude, you can make the weight. It's going to suck, but we could do it. I'm, I ended up taking the Jared Brooks fight, fucking wanting to kill myself because, and excuse me for swearing, I wanted to kill myself because, um, like, the weight cut was so horrible. Dude, I lost 26 pounds. It's like 12 kilo in nine days for a flyweight. That's a very, very big drop. And I make the weight, don't have the best performance, and Jared Brooks does some stupid. He ends up rocking himself when he falls, given I kind of – kind of caused it, but he was dumb enough to kind of fall for the trap. I actually didn't expect him to fall on his head. I expected a scramble, but hey, you know, I'll take what I get. I get the win bonus anyways. You know, I finished it, got the win, and then I go, hey, I want to fight again. They go, okay, well, you're not going to fight until December. This is June. I'm like, okay, it kind of sucks because I have the, the UFC entry-level money, um, which I don't believe I deserved, especially my resume, but it is what it is. I'll take it. I'll work up to it. And... I get a call a few weeks later after getting fat and happy, enjoying myself, thinking I'm not going to fight for another six months or need to start training for another six months, like that at least. And uh, then they're like, hey, you're going to fight in 20 days against Alex Perez. I go, no, I'm not. They go, well, you either fight in 20 days against Alex Perez or you don't fight until next year. And next year doesn't mean January or March. Next year can mean the same time, summer. And I'm like, dude, you're paying me the UFC level entry money. I don't feel like working Uber Eats like Pantoja. Fine. Okay. I have to fight. So I take this fight, 20 days, UFC, um, or excuse me, the, the fight was in California. California, the state itself, banned me from fighting. They red flagged me because they saw I had 28 pounds to cut, and I already just did 26 pounds in nine days, like I think less than 25 days ago from that point. So they're like, no, it's unhealthy. We're not letting you fight. 
So I'm like, okay, you know, I obviously gained weight. I'm not fighting. Then they go two days or uh, like, th- no, three days later, they go, hey, your fight is back on. The UFC took care of it. I'm like, I don't know how the UFC went and bypassed all the rules, but okay, cool. I guess I'm fighting. You know, do this horrible weight cut. I was, I was really, really horrible to my team because I was so mentally broken. I was just being a jerk to everybody. You know, like, I don't know if you've ever cut weight, but it's just like, you're just rude. And I was, I was a jerk, man. But um, I go in there. I didn't even want to fight. I'm fighting at the Staples Center. I didn't even want to fight. I'm like, man, I just want to go home. I'm on a 33 fight winning streak. I'm like, I don't deserve this. I, it is what it is. I'm becoming a little bit of a drama queen. And I'm just like, man, I just, I just want to go home. I go in there. I'm 100% a shell of myself. And I lost because of me. It wasn't even because of Alex Perez. I'm not saying I, I would never lose to him. But it was one of those, like, I never got to fully try. You know, I took 103 strikes, I believe, in like three minutes, and eventually my body gave out and I lost. And so I was like, okay, well, I've received my first loss. I have still two more fights in my contract. Then I started obviously going through a lot of mental health stuff, given I had things outside of UFC that I was dealing with as well, besides the weight cuts and stuff. Um, And I was just like having my own little mental battles. And plus, I haven't lost in like, at that point, like eight years, you know, so I'm like, wow, this is new again. You know, I'm kind of going through it. Let me, let me kind of take care of myself so i'm making mental health videos to kind of be a big brother to people online if they need me if i can help and um you know it's also outside venting or openly venting and uh one day i see dj get traded to to 1fc for ben Askren, and i'm like wait dana white didn't like dj dana white doesn't like ben Askren, but somehow he's being traded and dana white also threatened to cut the whole flyweight division because dj didn't want to fight tj and it was just stupid because one person said, no, the whole division is supposed to get cut. So now you sent the best UFC's champion in its history to another promotion. We don't have a Kobe Covington. We don't have a Conor McGregor. And I posted that in very big detail on one of my mental health videos. And they're getting popular. BJPenn.com shared it. MMAFighting.com, Junkie, all these people shared it. And now UFC thinks I'm talking bad about them. I'm like, no, you guys, this makes sense that you would cut us. There's no reason for you to keep us. And then they're like, no, 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 you're wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. The next week they go, no, you're right. We're cutting people and you're first. You, uh, you got lucky your first fight and you look like crap your next fight. No, we're not giving you another chance. No, and not even at 35. We don't care if you're a champion. It makes no sense to us. So they cut me. That is a ridiculous story, man. That, that, is, that is bullshit. That's the best way I can put it. And I'm sorry that happened to you, dude. Um, I want to know. When they said to you, you know, fight in these short periods, these spurts, like 20 days for errors, you said, or something, I want to ask you, um, what if you refused? Would that mean that you were locked in your contract and you couldn't go to somewhere like Brave? Or would that mean that um, you would just be having to wait for a whole year, as they said to you? So there's, there's a few things that can happen. Again, contractually, it gets a little difficult because the UFC can technically do whatever they want. They have little loopholes. Like even though I had a fortified contract, if I lose, they can cut you. You know, because it's like a lack of performance. Oh, you're not living up to our expectations. We don't need you anymore. Um, look at Yair Rodriguez. I think he denied two or three fights one year. And then they ended up cutting him. And then eventually he's like, okay, I'll take a fight. And then they brought him back, I think, like a few days later. So if I denied a fight, they can – pretty much do two things from what i know that's possibly more one of them being they could just cut me oh he won't take fights he's not trying to work we don't need him he's not working for us he's cut or they just hold on to me and put me in the back of the bench and go ah we'll use you when we need you which is more than likely for another last minute fight because i'm not doing them favors they're not going to do me any favors 
I saw that. That was so weird when I was looking at your record and I saw that you had beaten Albazi and I was like, okay, I know how good Albazi is. That's a feral win, right? Mm-hmm. And then I look at the Perez loss and I go, that's kind of out of place. Like not throwing any shade on anyone. It's just skill levels in MMA. You can tell who's better than who. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like a Moreno is completely different to someone like even an Asker Askarov who was a very good fighter, but you can tell who's better. Mm-hmm. So... So I want to ask you, like, if you had a full training camp and you were in the right frame of mind and everything, most likely you would have beaten Alex Perez, right? I believe so. I was very confident in it. In it. Um, if I wasn't, if I honestly wasn't confident in the fight, I'd be like, I don't care. I'll wait the rest of the year. There's no reason for me to take a loss. I'm not going to make much, you know, much money anyways. But for me, usually I'm, I'm pretty confident in my stuff. But when you have... And for fighters who know personally, and obviously with outside stuff, I look at it this way because obviously I went through my my fair share, of, you know, battles and trials and tribulations and demons and stuff like that. I look at it this way: as much as I can complain and, and talk about my story, I also don't know what Alex Perez was going through in that training camp as well. So, regardless of what I was going through, and I can openly express that, maybe he had a death in the family, maybe he was going through a problem, maybe whatever the case was happening he still dealt with it in his fight camp and he was able to be uh, mentally stronger and he won the fight because of it. It wasn't because of skill. I, and Max Holloway talked about that uh, in an interview with Joe Rogan. He's like, by the time you get to a certain level, it's like, it's not about how skillful you are. Like, yeah, obviously some people are better at this. Some people are better at that. But if you're smarter, if you can be mentally there, man, dude, you can probably beat some of the best in the world and be one of the best in the world. But if you're not mentally there, it doesn't matter who you are. Without a proper operator, that machine is useless, you know? So, you know, a C-level machine can beat an A-level machine when it's on its game and the A-level machine's not really paying, or the operator's not paying attention, you know? So for me, I, I, I could be 100 times better than Alex Perez. But that day, he showed he was 100 times better, both physically and mentally, and that's what won him the fight. So he was better, he was better for sure that day, and, Maybe one day I get that rematch, and I would love it just because out of respect. It's like I would just love to train with a guy who beat me just to see how far I've come. And, again, it's no disrespect to him. It's more of like, dude, you beat me. I respect you that much that I want to fight you again. It's no no personal thing, not that I hate you. It's more personal for me of like I want to see how much better I've gotten and can I pass something that's, you know, in a sense broken me down. There's opportunities everywhere, dude. PFL has uh, like the million-dollar tournaments. Mm-hmm. I don't think they have. Um, I don't think they have bantamweight right now. They're they're, they might I, be opening. I, they're going to be doing. Uh, I believe they're starting that next year because they have bantamweight uh, for Europe and and PFL Africa and different uh, regions right now. Yeah, so seeing that um, they're opening that up and plus one championship, dude. They their whole their whole brand is the lower weight classes in one championship. Really, like think about the region where they're from. Like even. Even on average, people are shorter, people are smaller, mm-hmm. so they, they give more respect to lower weight class fighters. There's so many opportunities out there for you, dude. Would you consider going to one or PFL and just like smashing it there? Or how good, how good's the pay at Brave that would stop you from doing that? Yo, with Brave, especially this next fight being for a title, I, I believe I get to renegotiate if I do win the belt. I know naturally there's a championship clause that kind of keeps you in for another year. But Brave and I have a lot of mutual respect. I know a lot of the people. I started with them. Um, you know, I knew before they even, I knew the people before they even started it. So 
I'm very close to them, so I have a lot of good connections to go, hey, man, let's actually have a conversation. Can we do a, uh, a, a dual promotional contract? Can I, you know, go here? Can I go there? Can I represent you versus another promotion like what Bellator does or Ryzen? You know, can I do these certain things? Because I do want to give my respect and love back to Brave as much as they've given me because they've been super patient. I've had to back out of fights. I've had to do this. I've had to do that. I personally ruined main event cards where I was supposed to be the champion or uh, um, I was supposed to fight for the flyweight belt and I was supposed to fight Ali Bagotinov and just random things happened to where I couldn't compete. Hell, I was supposed to fight Amir Abazi in the Philippines in, uh, in the beginning and I had to pull out because of sickness and I ended up getting cut. Um, so with that being said, it's like, Brave has respected me a lot, and they're giving me another chance at a title. Given you know I, I've earned the shot, and I'm happy for it against another tough opponent. You know, but it's one fight at a time. As as much as I'd love to say, I want to be the best in the world, and eventually I want to fight people in one FC, UFC, whatever promotion, because I want to just I want to do what DJ did. Yo, win the belt at one promotion and go. You know what? Let me fight the other champions in different promotions and see if I truly am one of the best in the world and see how well I can compete against their big fish out of their ponds. And hopefully I can do that one day. But right now I'm, I'm, you know, with Brave and it's one fight at a time. We just kind of go from there. How do you feel about the Bellator Rising co-promotion? I know that you just mentioned if Brave does it, you'll be all for it. But do you think that's beneficial to MMA in general? Yeah, you know, you look at it this way. Boxing has four different champions at, you know, every single weight class. And you have all these different promotions. And obviously, it becomes a little bit of a struggle. You look at the Errol Spencer, Terrence Crawford fight took years in the making. You know, Ryan Garcia, Tank Davis, years in the making. Manny Pacquiao, Floyd Mayweather, that took, oh, God damn it, so many years in the making. So when it comes to these promotions where Bellator is doing it with Ryzen, it's like, yo, that's pretty damn cool. It's like the best of the East versus the best of the West. And now you have DJ in 1FC, the best of the West versus the best of the East. And they're going back and forth and having a great time. It's like, I would love to see Brave kind of do that eventually. I mean, Brave does, um, you know, co-promotional stuff where they, they partner up with the country's biggest promotion and, and kind of, you know, let their champions have a have a shot at the titles and stuff like that. But, um, you know, I would love to, to be highlighted against you know, 1FC, a Ryzen, a UFC, a Bellator, all those different, you know, champions just because, one, I've practiced with most of them. So it just, I, it'd be a lot of fun. i be like, yo, come on, man, let's get it. Let's have some fun. And whoever loses, like, you know, the, the, the winner's buying food or whatever, you know? So, it, you know, it, it's just, I want to be able to have fun. And for me, that's what the sport is, you know, and it's a challenging sport to be able to, to, to be stuck in one promotion kind of really sucks um, to an extent. Obviously, Brave treats me well. It's not at all saying anything bad towards them. But I would love to fight people in UFC. I would love to fight people in Ryzen and Bellator and different promotions that go, damn, I truly am one of the best. Instead of, you know, people always saying, what if this guy fought this guy? Oh, what would happen? Oh, no, this guy's better. It's like, no, I want to see if it actually happened. And I hope Brave, uh, you know, does something like that in, in the near future. What did you think about that draw in your career against uh, Sean Sentel, I believe his name was? How do, you, how do you feel about that fight in general? Um, I put a lot of pressure on myself. It's funny. I was actually telling my roommate, Edgar Torres, I, was, I, I put a lot of pressure on myself after that fight or during that fight because my father passed away. It was my first fight back, and I put a lot of my pressure on myself to win. Like, I got to do this for him, for the legacy, this, that. That I, I rushed a lot of stuff and did a lot of stupid things. So I put myself in vulnerable positions. Given I didn't get finished, I got out, got out, out of all of it, and I wished it was a five-round fight. If it was five rounds, 100% I would have won. But um, – you know, Sean, man, he was just such a smart fighter, and he did what he needed to do against me, and I hissed out. It was a very, um, 
you know, a kryptonite style for me because you hold me. It's like, man, now I got to work. Now I have to think. You might not submit me, but I, it takes a lot of time out of me doing what I usually do, and that's pressure, attack, pressure, attack, and just be resilient. And when I was able to do that in the third round, I was able to dominate and make it a 10-8 round, and I was very fortunate that the judges saw it that way, and given I saw it that way as well, but I'm like, damn, this is a fight I should have won, and I should have won, I personally believe, soundly, but you know, Sean obviously bested me and put me in, in those vulnerable positions that he was able to dominate those, or not dominate, but at least uh, solidify control and, and win those two rounds where I'm like, well, that sucks, you know? So, again, another fight where I can get uh, – wish I could get a rematch. Never expected me to get a draw in my career, nor do I believe anyone should have a draw. I believe it should always go to a fourth round if that's the if that's the case. But, you know, that, that's just me. I always want to see a winner and a loser. I think that's how fights should be. There should never be a draw. Um, especially when our, our pay um, is kind of prevalent on, on like, or prevalent on like, if you win, you win double. If you lose, well, you only win your show money. So if you get a draw, that depends on the promotion. So for me, um, you know, I want to win. I want to get paid more, and I want to you know add more to my resume and keep on fighting the best. Uh, Muhammad Moikiev, he's still very young. Mm-hmm. He still had a crazy record. Your and his records actually kind of similar due mm-hmm. to the fact that you had so much amateur experience. His record, when you pull his uh, amateur and his professional, get to like thirty six and zero or something like one no I, contest. I, I believe he's thirty. Yeah. I believe he's thirty three and zero right now. Um, and so he's either tied my record or he's thirty four and zero. One of the two. But I can tell you this, Mohammed Mokaev is like a little brother to me. I started the blueprint for the amateurs. I'm a pioneer in amateur MMA, given that that, that, wasn't, that name wasn't given to me. Or excuse me, I didn't give myself that name, so that name was given to me. And uh, I was like, man, that's dope. You know, I was the first ever two-time world champ. And then out of nowhere, a few other people did it. And given Mohamed Mokai, I did it in the junior division. But he was so skilled as a, as a, you know, as a young athlete at like 18, 19 years old. He's like, I don't need to do this in the adult division. I'm pretty damn dominant. I'm probably going to face the same guys in the adult division and do the same thing. So let me just turn pro. And how I'm, I'm telling you this is when he's my age, he's probably going to be like 1.5, if not two times better. He's literally going to be the 2.0 version of me. And the crazy thing is with the IMUF, because they're doing the youth division now and then juniors and then adults. These guys are going to be a 2.0 of Mohamed Mokaev in, you know, five years and so on. So, like, this this sport is going to adapt and evolve so fast. And I'm so happy that I could help someone like Mohamed Mokaev to be like, he did it. I could do it, too. You know, it's like, yeah, that's awesome, dude. I Obviously, it's like, oh, I never want anyone to be better than me. But when it comes to the youth coming up, it's like, no, I want you to be like me and so much more and he's doing that and now he's fighting a guy that i thought was gonna fight tim elliott and i would love to see that fight i'm excited to see how it goes tim elliott is a little older but he's very awkward but also a veteran and very experienced muhammad mokaev is a little wild you know he's obviously rambunctious and and he's just excited so we'll see how the fight plays out that is a really good fight dude like i think tim elliott fought dj back in the day so he's Mm -hmm. been around for ridiculous amount of time it would be really telling to see what mokaev's um like his skill levels at like i I can't wait for that fight i want to ask you about how did you get started in mma what motivated you to even start fighting professionally and and start in your amateur record 
Um, so my dad, you know, really wanted me to fight and I kind of had a lot of energy for it. So he put me, you know, he was kind of like, Hey, you know, looked at my mom. He's like, get him in the gym. He should fight. My mom spent all of her free time taking me. My brother always ended up play fighting with me. So my father, and I had a very rough upbringing. So naturally I needed to learn how to defend myself. And I also didn't have the proper role models. So watching TV, it was like Power Rangers, Dragon Ball Z, Ninja Turtles, stuff like that, where it's like, I looked at these people as heroes. So I grew up wanting to fight bad guys and wanting to be a hero. So the gym was also a place where I'm like, yo, I can learn how to fight and beat these bad guys up. And as I started to do amateur fights, and I joined Combat Devil Master Bob Shermer, who I'm still with today, like 14 years later, which is kind of crazy. Um, I've been doing the sport for now 27 years. That's crazy. But um, I joined and started in May when I was 16. And, man, he helped me out so much, gave me the proper mentorship and guidance, and kind of was just like, shut up, listen to me. I'm telling you the right thing. I'm not going to steer you in the wrong you know, place. Just just say yes and do what I tell you to do. It's like listen to your coach, bring the fight to your corner, and listen to your coach. Those are our three rules. And I did that. And out of nowhere, I did all these fights. I did the 20-plus fights. I ended up um, staying the extra year to win. Uh, I'm off the second year in a row. I just wanted to turn pro. I was like, cool, I'm a world champ. Let me turn pro. He goes, trust me, do it twice. You're going to create history. I was like, oh, fine. You know, I don't want to, but fine. Did it, created history. Now I'm joining KHK. Then I was in, you know, Titan FC double champ. Then I started to break records. Then I'm in the UFC. You know, now I go to Brave. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. It's like, man, I, I have a resume. I have this stuff because of my coach. I have this stuff because of my team and the guidance that I have because of him and just my family. So for me, I, I wanted to be a hero, which is kind of crazy that um, every fight that I have, people get inspired. So it's like, wow, I'm becoming that real life hero I've always wanted to be. And then two, you know, I'm, I'm fulfilling my father's legacy of what he wanted me to be and what he wanted to do in life as well. Can you tell us about uh, Indombele, like uh, your next opponent? What does he do well? What do you have to do in that fight? You know, in Indombele, I believe is 5'10", 5'11". He's very long. He's very lanky, kind of like an Israel Adesanya body type. He also stylistically is like Israel Adesanya, wants to stay on the feet. Once he gets on the ground, it's not that he panics. He just wants to rush back up. That's not his territory. He's like a, a lion in the water. He's like, no, 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 I want to be back on land. This is where I'm best. Um, but also with that being said, he's like a lion, man. This guy is rough. He, he's One thing he does really well, he keeps his distance. He circles. And he's very strong and aggressive. So even when he is stuck in a clinch, he knows what to do. He knows, you know, he has great takedown defense. He has a great Muay Thai clinch. And he's always trying to work. And from what I saw, I believe he has a decent gas tank as well. Um, but for me, I'm a small guy. I need the pressure, but I need to use my angles. I need to obviously see which way he's going to attack. And he has, you know, his more dominant size. He has his more dominant attacks. Um, you know, he does certain things when he's on the fence and he does certain things when he's on the ground. And obviously, stylistically, my best chance with him is on the ground. I believe I am better than him on the feet. But just in case, again, there's that Leon Edwards, Kamar Usman type of fight. Hey, you could be winning the whole fight. And then Leon Edwards throws out one kick, sets it up beautifully, and he's out. So for me, I need to be safe. I need to be smart. And I need to hit off my, my three goals, my checklist to to win this fight and that's obviously pressure take my angles and you know and, and properly put in my fit-ins but also use my combinations to do so you spoke about that uh intense weight cut that you had it was a uh, decently sizable weight cut i want to ask you about figueredo some people said that he got down to 150 pounds which is which is like 73 kg or something or or around 68 kg before he started his cut to 57 kilogram in flyweight. Do you think that was too much? So 
uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna correct you a little bit on this. So Figueredo and I both weigh exactly the same. We both start our training at like maybe seventy two point five to seventy three kilo and drop all the way down to fifty seven. That's pretty much in pounds, um, like one hundred and sixty three all the way down to one hundred and twenty five. And again, there's no pound allowance. You know, you're a championship fighter. You have to make that weight. And I know when I made it, I'm like, yo, this sucks. Like, I wanted to shoot myself every day. Like, this is another reason why I decided to bump up. Because not just I I, I was unhappy and it made me not want to do the sport anymore. It was also that, like, oh, I have a fight. I'm not motivated. And then, two, because I was cutting so much weight, I was actually tearing a lot of my limbs because I was overtraining and not properly taking care of myself because you couldn't because I'm malnourished, you know, in so many different instances, you know, with little water, little this, little that, and I have to train, 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 just get my body down. Could I still make the weight? Yes. It would just have to be longer with a professional and, and with proper guidance again. But for Figueredo, be, for him being able to make the weight, the one main thing that was the biggest difference between him and I is that he was paid pay-per-view money. He was paid championship money compared to when I was in the UFC. It's like, here, you're getting paid the entry-level money, which at the time is like 10-10, 12-12, stuff like that. You know, he's getting paid hundreds of thousands of dollars to be in this. And obviously, if you win, you have the chance of getting this, getting that, and possibly even pay-per-view numbers. So it's like, yeah, you know what? I'll tear, I'll tear off my leg to, to make this weight. I got to do what I got to do, change my life and change my family's life. Why not? But for me, it just wasn't worth it. So it's like, I I could I might not be the biggest and strongest at bantamweight, but at least I'll be able to compete at my best and also be happy doing so. Um, it's like Demetrius Johnson right now, one FC. He's definitely smaller than Adriano Morris and all those guys because flyweight over there is technically bantamweight. They weigh in at one thirty five or or sixty one kg, but you know. He doesn't have a weight cut. He feels, feels healthy. And technically, if you're that good, look at Manny Pacquiao. If you're that good, you'll win every fight. It might be a little harder, but if you're smart and do the right things, Frankie Edgar, when he was at lightweight, you then you can win the fight. So for me, I kind of create that mentality in my head and go, if they can do it, I can do it, and I can do it 10 times better. So you've gone from flyweight to bantamweight. They said that Figueroa would do that as well. Um, there's still... Still a little bit of issues there. He was scheduled for Manel Cup, which is a flyweight. So a little bit weird that he did that. But they said that they wanted to make him bantamweight up against Dominic Cruz. What do you think about that fight when they said they were going to make it? I think they might soon rather than later. So what do you think about Figueredo at bantamweight? Oh, I think he's going to do just fine. I mean, he's around my size, maybe an inch taller. But he's strong. He's powerful. He's very technical. Obviously, he has the mindset of a champion. So I believe he's going to be for sure top five. At the bantamweight division, it's just these guys are going to be a lot longer. He's going to have to figure some things out. And trust me, I, I obviously know because my guy's extremely long. My last opponent was 5'10", 5'11". I'm like, dude, you were a lightweight. Why are you cutting down the bantamweight? You know, so it's one of those things where you have to adapt to it. But he knows the sacrifices he needed to make to bump up. And I believe him fighting another champion, worst of the worst, he's making hella money for it. And I know he's happy compared to killing himself and fighting another guy for possibly less money not even that's going to be a champion. Maybe he's going to fight, you know, Kyle Call France, and it's not even for the belt or a title contender fight. So it's like, if he's going to fight someone, let me let me do these legacy fights now. He is a little bit older, you know. Obviously, his body's torn up from making flyweight. Let me go to bantamweight. Let me be healthier and fight some of the guys that are probably veterans in the sport that are towards the end of their career, like Dominic Cruz. You said something about brave being in South America. 
I'm a little bit confused by that because I thought Bray was an Indian promotion. I, I know that they go around and stuff. Is it an Indian promotion? And have you fought in India? No, it's actually a Middle Eastern promotion based out of the country Bahrain or the kingdom of Bahrain. And they've traveled to 30 plus countries. Um, I'm not sure how many exactly. But, I mean, this is their second time in Colombia. They traveled all over the world. They've been to North America, and I know they've been to Mexico. I don't know if they've been to Canada yet. I know they've been to Africa. They've been to Australia, um, Asia, you know, the Middle East, Europe, South America. So they've been all different parts, and uh, they give a lot of notable countries and their smaller cities, you know, notability and those fighters there because they deserve a shine. And, uh, again, you look at Amir Bazi, Kazma, um, uh, the guy who's fighting Volkanovski, I'm sorry, I can't remember his name. So it's like these guys, yeah. yeah so it's like these guys are phenomenal fighters. They just never had the uh, notoriety. Now they're having it. So that's why, even though like my opponent is only six and one, dude, he's from Africa. I and I know his manager. Like him and I have talked about Nkosi before I even decided to talk about fighting Nkosi. He's like, dude, this guy used to work two dollars a day driving a bus. Like, and that was eight hours. I was like, dude, that's ridiculous. And he's like, yeah, he used to live in a sheet metal house. Like, he's dangerous. Like, there's poor and there's third world country poor. You know, so it's like these guys are trying not to just win. They're trying to change their lives. That's not a fighter. That's a freaking dangerous fighter. Far out, dude. That that would give you, like, 10x motivation. I want to ask you about Bahrain. So I looked at the photos of Bahrain in Q8 and I was like, dude, does this actually exist? Mm -hmm. Like it looked like, it looked like some um, AI generated image of like a uh, next hundred years of the future. Right. So, so when you went to Bahrain, uh, what was that like just being around there? Um, I'm, so when I first went there in 2015, I lived there for about two months. Um, and I mean, it was cool. It's obviously a different world. You, Bahrain is very liberalized because they have the military base. They have a lot of Americans there. They have a lot of Brits. They have a lot of Brazilians. They have a lot of different types of people. So it's a very ethnically different place than the majority of the Middle East. Um, so it's a very liberal place. And I had a lot of connections there that I was able to be and stay close with. So for me, it was just another day in a different country. That's that's kind of how I looked at it. Obviously, different customs, different money. But overall, it was it, it was nice to learn different types of politics, different types of morals, different types of religions, and just different types of point of views from so many different types of people. What was the worst injury that you've ever gotten? Um, let's see. I've torn my MCL twice. I've broken my hand. I've had multiple concussions. I've broken my toes. I've broken my foot. Uh, I think I broke a finger once. Um, I've had multiple cuts on my eyes here, here, staples. Um, let's see. I'm trying to think. I almost broke my back when I was a kid, but that has nothing to do with fighting. Um, I got crushed by a garage door. Um, let's see. Yeah, it was it was actually pretty comedic. Literally, the door was like doing this, and it was like a cartoon. Um, I... Yeah, I, I I don't know which one was my worst injury. I know one of the funniest and, like, most painful one was. Um, I remember oh, – Gleason de Jesus was a guy I couldn't remember earlier. Uh, Gleason de Jesus, I ended up getting headbutted by him by accident. And he apologized after. He's like, I'm so sorry for headbutting you. It was just in the moment in the fight. I went to pull him in, and, and he ended up trying to dodge an elbow. And it just hit me, and I had to get seven stitches under my eye. And he calf kicked the hell out of me to where I couldn't walk after the fight where like my dad is lifting me up and stuff like that. And I look at the doctor. He's like, yep, you need stitches. He goes, hey, um, I'm sorry. Let's go to the hospital because I don't have any like uh, numbing agent 
to numb your face. I was like, well, do you have the stitching stuff? He goes, yeah. I was like, dude, I don't want to go anywhere. I can barely walk. Let's just do it right now. So I laid down on, on the walkway and we just started stitching my face like in the movies, you know, it was just like, let's just do it. And that shit sucked. That, that is ridiculous, man. Why would you let him do that without anesthesia or whatever it's called? I didn't want to go like another two hours of going to the hospital, possibly paying for a hospital fee, doing this, doing that. I'm like, dude, let's just do this. I'm going to save myself 500 bucks. Let, let's do it. Uh, if you weren't a fighter, what would you be? If I wasn't a fighter, I'd be a teacher. I'd be an instructor. I'd be a helper. I had my own foundation. I want to own my own school one day or my own academy. And I want to give back. So for me, I'm a natural person that, that loves to help be a big brother, hopefully be a father one day, and just um, you know help people around me, whether they're kids, teenagers, and or young adults, or just people trying to stay in shape and, and help others as well. That's all we have time for, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you very much, Jose, for coming on the show. Is there anything you want to plug or say before we wrap up the podcast? Uh, August 12th, Brave 73, you know, live and free on YouTube, on Brave's channel, Brave CF. And, uh, man, I appreciate all love support, and that's why we say we can't be well together. We are Team Shorty, and it's been a long time coming, and hopefully the next time we talk, I have a belt to, uh, you know, wrapped around my waist. Follow Jose on Instagram, link in the description, and subscribe to Anything Combat on YouTube. Thanks, guys. Bye.